Cardi made us go, was it? There we go now. All right, here we go. Welcome um, back to the Secret Shrimp Podcast, brought to you by absolutely fucking no one. Brought to you by Fitz and Garf. Train by day and go to sleep by night. So this episode of the podcast... Sometimes have a small little sleep during the day if you're doing a lot of training. Yeah, it's a, a little hour and a half nappies if you can yeah, get... The, if you napsy poos. Um, the best naps are the ones you didn't plan. Absolutely, 100%. Of the time, they're the best ones. Yeah. So this episode of the podcast is going to be about how to create optimal relationships with your clients, with your athletes, with your teams... Just about anyone you're trying to teach or coach, okay, we're going to delve into what we think is our opinions. Daryl will talk a little bit about what the research and current science, well, psychology, I won't call it science. It's just my opinion, I call it research. <laughs> says is um, what, how you should kind of go about it to nurture the best relationships to get the most out of your athletes and have both of you still enjoy the relationship, okay? And then I suppose we'll speak a small bit on uh, you as an athlete. Yeah. And what your kind of relationship back then towards the coaching staff might be. So the little bit of backstory behind this is it kind of started yesterday when we were just talking about the Bulgarian weightlifting team. So obviously a lot of our listeners aren't weightlifters. And the weightlift, the Bulgarian weightlifting team were, I think it's fair to say, they are still the greatest weightlifting team in the history of the sport. Yeah. So they took... Long story short, they had a coach called Ivan Abajev, right? He essentially revolutionized not just weightlifting training, but training for all athletes in all sports. He went from, he basically took the game to another level. So while he didn't do a lot of our research, the Bulgarians did commission some research, incidentally. Yeah. They didn't do a lot of sport. So we don't have a lot of like Soviet research from them because they were not in the USSR. And Ivan Abajev, at the time, weightlifters would have been training for five times a week I think just training part time a lot of them would working jobs a lot of times they used to even train up until like a month or yeah. two before competition yeah they were just strong fuckers so they just weren't <laughs> even training like if there was a competition in six months they'd start training like a month or two beforehand or something like that or some of them didn't even do training they just went to competitions yeah. and Ivan Abajev was like no 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 we're gonna like he took training to the basically sports specificity to the max like he was the OG which I just found out a minute ago Dar didn't know what OG means and if you don't know what it means it means original gangster so he was the Don Carleone of sports specificity right now you'll notice I didn't call Ivan a great coach because Ivan's nickname was the butcher yeah the Bulgarian weightlifting team there's kind of a like two tropes in uh, weightlifting one is the Bulgarians basically didn't train like the Bulgarians didn't even train like the Bulgarians no and the other one's like a Murphy's Law where no matter what anyone does in the world record a Bulgarian did it at a lighter weight yeah. and did a heavier weight at lighter body weight so basically what he did was snatch clean and jerk front squat sometimes back squat and then some powers all day every day to maximum and in excess multiple attempts and the reason they called him the butcher was because there was no, there was no giving him. He he broke a lot of athletes. He ruined like, he ruined a lot of athletes. They got a lot of injuries. Like the Bulgarian weightlifting team. However, while he did ruin a lot of athletes, by 1988 they had 60 percent of all the world records. Yeah. And they were the legit world records. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that was at a time when weightlifting was 
a huge sport. Like the amount of money invested in weight. Well, it's it's probably actually, there's probably more people weightlifting now, but the quality yeah. of weightlifting back then, well, not the quality, the out of competition testing was non-existent. <laughs> Essentially, because of the weightlift of uh, the Bulgarian weightlifting team, male weightlifting world records um, ceased to progress by 1994. Yeah. Essentially, the only one that's progressed since has been the super heavy world record, okay? Yeah. So, that's mental. If you're not getting from this, the Bulgarians are great. Yeah. But if you're not, what you're also getting from this is that the Bulgarians broke a lot. So Ivan was just an absolute, he, he's actually, uh, he, I think he died last year, the year before. And weightlifting owes an awful lot to um, Ivan Abijev. But he also um, treated peop- his athletes incredibly poorly. And I posed the question to Dara, do you think they could have done it if I Ivan had just been a little bit sounder? <laughs> There's stories of Ivan like pushing, pushing like um, PCP, so obviously you know that is yeah. um, a drug people used to get high intoxicated so people they've been using stuff like uh, test suspension and PCP in the same day and the lifters are like I feel absolutely horrendous can I yeah. not do this anymore and they were like oh you'll get um, you'll get more you'll get like 15 kilos more or 5 kilos more if you use this yeah they thought it would add 5 kilos to a max snatch on the day yeah so it's just the stories like that are numerous um, he treated his athletes in terms of a sports psychology way, I would say poorly would be the word used to put it. Yeah, borderline abusive, I'd say. I'd say um, probably no borderline about it. And like, we like, so obviously a lot of these are stories that we would have heard like anecdotally over the years. There's a book of, is it Galabin or Galabinani? Galabin Boveski. Yeah. The White Prisoner. The White Prisoner. It's, it's a great read if you hate yourself and like very poorly translated books. <laughs> if you uh, don't mind reading gibberish. Yeah, so if you want to hear like what life was like for the Bulgarians, uh, you you can read that book. Um, yeah, there's some crazy stories about like people with uh, with fractures in their spine and would still be made train. Uh, there's stories of, of people like with broken bones in their hand who would still be made train. Uh, and that's going to like, as you said, that's where this stemmed from of like a lot of coaches are highly authoritarian and like uh they're the boss and and there's no give no feedback and like yeah that's important that there that there's a level of respect there but uh like when you pose that question of like how it actually came about is one of Garth's favorite pastimes is going on instagram and finding weightlifters who are moaning he was a crossfitter or, this time was it a, oh he yeah was a was, uh, so like athletes who are moaning or like Athletes who are making excessive excuses. We all know who you are. Yeah. Stop doing that, Stop please. Uh, and we're talking to the thousand people on Instagram who every day post like, oh, today I woke up and I didn't feel great and I went to the gym and I still trained it because sometimes you just got to grind it. <laughs> it's my war. It's my pad. It's my reality. My truth in the gym. Yeah, you know? you're, you're making up fake weight or fake work for yourself because your life isn't hard enough for you to be physically fit. Do you know what Ivan Abijayev said to people? You're going back to prison if you don't make this weight. Yeah, so they took prisoners out of like, so there's a guy who was like a multiple murder or like had murdered a few people was taken out of uh, jail for one of the Olympics. Only a few? That's uh, a big deal. Yeah, like it's, you're living with maniacs uh, and you're being coached by a maniac. So like, Garth posed the question of like, do you think the Bulgarians had to, like, would have made these kind of excuses or like... No, no, I was like, do you think they'd still own 60% of the world records if he'd just been a little bit of a nicer man? Or would they have owned 75% of the world records? And you think he would have? Yeah. Um, so I think right so yeah 
that coach athlete relationship is very very complicated there's a lot going on there uh you can be there's a, a broad spectrum you can be their best friend you can be their parent you can be uh the dickhead who only talks to them once a week uh you can be like there's a huge amount of ranges and they all seem to work but what we're trying to do is what's optimal or what would we recommend or uh how do we like to interact with people who've coached us how do we like to interact with the people who we coach now uh and I think there's a bit of a sweet spot in the middle there. I think just initially to start somewhere, stab the cake from some end. Yeah. From personal experience, it seems like people who didn't do a lot of sports when they're younger need a little bit more molly coddling as they get older. Yeah. So people who would have come into whatever it is later in life, or maybe even our UAS. So not quite UAS, but people who start to maybe kind of fun weight of thing or power of thing or something like that around 18 or 19 so if you don't know what an uwa is uh, and you haven't heard that podcast it's we've coined the term or i don't know if we coined, I coined it but we definitely coined it 100 uh, adult onset athleticism it's ours. uh but we're calling it uwa because it sounds cooler so the onset of athleticism in adulthood and these are so sometimes they're <laughs> coming to a t-shirt near you soon <laughs> sometimes they're actually the older uwas are better people because they're more motivated and they want to they want to get it done and they're just want Definitely, the truth. Yeah. But sometimes we've younger people this fucking generation. No, the are people <laughs> who Snowflakes, oh they're snowflakes. And I don't I don't think it's from a weak mentality, but sometimes they're not used to the um the straight remarks, the less cutting ones. Yeah. And sometimes when you or sometimes you've people who've played like field sports say for a long time things like rugby or Gaelic football in Ireland or something or like even that. like a great example is swimming like yeah uh, it's not even a team sport but they train extremely hard uh, are pushed to the limits every single day huge amount of volume yeah training early in the morning late in the evening and the feedback is you can be a lot more direct with it you can take they can take it a lot better it's not even They've gotten a lot better at moving the emotion from the feedback they're getting from the person. They don't take it personally. It's just yeah. a, um, an evaluation on what they were doing, the physical activity. So they're able to kind of process it because they understand it's not new to them. You know, it's not yeah. something that's it's shocking to them that someone's saying something negative because realistically, most people all the time are always bad at taking criticism. <laughs> and being taking criticism well is something that you have to practice. And I don't know anyone really who who is truly good at taking criticism yeah. while even superficially like they might be like yeah thanks you know yeah and not in a not a ratty way but in their head they're like what the fuck does he think he is you know <laughs> like i think for a lot of people taking criticism is is difficult yeah and you need to kind of approach criticism as positively as you can most of the time so it's difficult right because yeah to be in a position where you're giving a some critical feedback to somebody there has to be a level of trust there where the person is going to believe what you're saying so yeah if uh if you tell somebody uh that squat was bad because your knees caved in like there's probably a level of trust there whereas if some random person walking in off the street mm -hmm. told you uh there mightn't be that level of trust that you need to be able to kind of critically feed give feedback uh there also needs to be a a positive reason for you giving the feedback so if i'm just saying uh if a coach is watching a rugby player and they drop the ball and they go don't drop the fucking ball yeah what good is that what good is that like that it, 
obviously they weren't trying to drop the ball. Uh, whereas if it's you need to keep your eyes on the ball, uh, you need to keep your hands up. There's some sort of positive there that they can work on, and it's not just shouting negatively for the sake of shouting negatively, or like why did you miss that lift, or oh for fuck's sake, like a lot of the time the feedback can be critical, but it's giving some sort of positive resource to the person afterwards. So that like, probably touches on um, having respect for your coach. And the coach having respect for you. Yeah, that's uh, not that important. <laughs> so, like, there's a, f- a few different groups and you have to, yeah. like, obviously, every this is hyper-individual now, right? Yeah. The two of us will respond differently to different coaches to different at different times. Uh, youths obviously have to be handled very, very differently than you would adults. Uh, different levels of athletes have to be treated very, very differently. Uh, Even different people the same person at different times of the year different periods throughout their career different times of the day yeah like <laughs> you know if um like a good coach would be semi aware of what's going on in someone's personal life or aware of maybe potential negative effect or things happening you know something like that or yeah. even post traumatic events like uh as in like a sporting traumatic events where something did not go yeah did not they go lo- well lost a game uh or didn't make a team or whatever it was. Like they'll be aware that it today isn't the day where I'm going to like kill him for let's say it's a weightlifting and he bombed the competition. Yeah, it's now may not be the time. So there could be two different two two different responses to this. You may have a lifter who wants to get back in the gym immediately and wants to fix this issue. Let's say he pressed out all his jerks and he's coming back to the gym now and he wants to absolutely destroy his jerk now and make yeah. it the best thing you can possibly do. And a good coach will be aware of how to kind of nurture that and control that kind of aggression and that kind of potential neuroticism. Uh, yeah, that the level of intensity that that's going to bring. Or he may be the lifter who pressed out all his jerks or missed all his jerks and he just needs to take a week off and rather than being like, come on, you got to go back in the gym, like we've got another competition in uh, let's in like two months again or yeah. something, you need to be aware that, oh, I just need to give him a week, he'll get over it. And you'll be ready to train again rather than kind of bringing him back into the gym too early and like hammering that jerk thing too yeah. soon where it may upset him. Not even upset him in um, like he's going to start crying kind of way. Kind of upset him as in like you might make this event bigger than it needs to be. Yeah. Like the, like his jerk may not have been a problem prior to this. and It may just have been one of those those um kind of freak events that wasting is tend to have is that yeah, you just yeah. might have a shit jerk that day and a good coach will know a good coach might know like a good coach might know that it's just it's just enough to leave that lifter alone yeah. and he'll work they might be very introverted kind of at least and they might need that week to think to kind of process with themselves so sometimes it's not enough to tell someone that you know that was just a shit day Yeah. you know so often when you do shit people will be like you did great there you know and that sometimes it's so patronizing, especially for and all across all sports, it happens so much, you know. It it can also be very, very belittling if if you really want to go through and and debrief something. So, like, say yeah. competition has gone terribly, yeah, uh, and then you're back in the gym the next day and you like are to the next week and you're saying, oh, geez, that went really bad. Like, what happened? And the and a coach just says, I oh, just forget about it. Yeah, that's that's um, I just forget about it. Don't mind. That doesn't matter. But like, where it could be like. 
look, Daryl, look, if it's just your jerk is normally, your jerk's 20 kilos above, like objectively, we'll take away yeah. the sir. But like your jerk's 15 kilos, 20 kilos above your best clean jerk. We know it's not really an issue. You just had a bad day. Yeah. You, let's say the coach might know that you had to cut weight and you did a shit job of it and then they'll touch on that. Yeah. You know, that touches on something else as well is that um, a positive debriefing is very important as well. So let's say the co- competition went really well. It's just important for you. So a lot of times... Will a coach will be like, let's say we do fantastic, yeah. you hit all PBs. It's just as important, I think, or just as useful to bring that lifter in and debrief on what went really well. Yeah, so definitely. They, so you can be like, there, look, we've, you know, the way we added in hang power cleans. Yeah. And we're going to keep going with those now. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Like there's a reason we're going to keep going with those, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I think, so there's two big things again. Uh, the first, like, as you were saying there, there has to be, like we always talk about being process orientated but like you're saying a positive debrief but that really just is like you're in a growth mindset mm-hmm. so we're not in a fixed mindset no uh and like then to to hammer the process thing again is that like people often put a competition or a game or the end of a season as their as the destination for something whereas i think we need to stop thinking about especially in in strength sports we tend to say look training for nationals now and then going to take a break after whatever like i think a much more positive way of of planning your training is to say yeah uh here's the calendar of competitions for the year i'm going to pick three i'm going to pick four uh and then this is just a process this is just another competition rather than it being something where a huge event yeah i spend six or eight months or i don't compete for a year i'm just going to do this competition i'm just going to do this uh and then we put a huge amount of pressure on that situation and it's a uh, like just outcome orientated i just want to win nationals probably isn't the best way of going about it yep. whereas if i say nationals is the first competition of my competitive year i know i'm going to have two or three more competitions afterwards uh and this is just building again it's a small bit heavier than my total last time or it's i'm at a i'm in better physical shape than i was last time or higher total at lower body weight or whatever it is and like a, a good coach will explain to you that, that yeah. what that is like you'll, and it'll they won't just tell you that that's what's going on they won't just tell you that okay we're going to do nationals then we're going to do whatever after and then we're going to do the next open and then we're going to do the qualifying event for this competition like it's going to be a, a good relationship like yeah. there's going to be it's not going to be an authority and dictatorship yeah so i think if we bring timmy back like Timmy the Tank, our uh, our imaginary athlete. So, yeah. if we bring Timmy back and we'll kind of frame out what we think would be an ideal coach athlete relationship for Timmy, yeah, and then we might just do one for somebody with a slightly different personality. So, uh, we say Timmy is a a weightlifter. He's twenty one years of age or twenty years of age. He's going into like second year in university. Uh, he he's been coached for five years uh what would you like to see that coach athlete relationship looking like it want to be by five years how long has coach been coaching timmy five years so fam you'd want a fairly kind of automatic relationship i think it would want to be fairly fluid i think coming into the gym timmy knows that he needs to do his warm-up and he's not going to be dicking around let's say they are they do happen to have a lot of one-to-one it's easy in a club you'd want to see something like training starts at 6 say 6 p.m 
we know the coach is he's not 6pm sharp we're going straight on the bar but we're going to be everyone's getting going by 6pm yeah. so you know Timmy comes at like half five because Timmy likes to take a shit for 15 minutes and look at his phone <laughs> kind of thing you know and the coach knows this and he knows that that's just how Timmy yeah. de-stresses from or like whatever kind of, he's been doing like he reframes his mind that he's not a student anymore Timmy is the potential international weightlifter in his head so he needs to reframe how he's going to be so the coach isn't on him being like you come in half an hour early and you're not doing anything he yeah. knows that that 50 minutes is um, probably something vital for Timmy yeah so like if we take that first point there has to be a level of of familiar familiarity absolutely with the athlete like you know and I think we see a lot of the time uh, in, and we I'm going to just use a CrossFit gym as an example here because that's where you bump into a lot of athletes and we see a lot of coaching happening mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time we see coaches and they actively don't take an interest in the person yeah you know like they're they're not really interested in what's going on like they're not being like oh what you get up to the weekend they're not saying oh how is work going how's college going uh how's your girlfriend how's your boyfriend whatever like you don't have to be their best friend but a level of kind of emotional intelligence that will back up what you're doing is hugely important uh and we like there was a or there, it still goes on where there's this kind of big pride people taking like oh, I'm the fucking tough coach and if yeah, you arrive yeah, yeah. if you arrive 30 seconds late for my crossfit class i'm gonna make you do uh, burpees or whatever like yeah that's it's not positive you know and like yeah you're doing that to make yourself feel better not to make athletes better on the other hand of that though there is a fine line between being have a positive friendly relationship with your athlete and the athlete being your friend yeah so obviously there's a lot of ne- not a lot of negatives but there's some potentially very strong negatives to that yeah for example um the, the respect moves from in the coach athlete hierarchy the coach's advice is seen as more of an opinion rather than i need to do what the coach says yeah and while you will always of course interact with your coach and a good coach will explain to you why you're doing something and if he asks you he won't tell you shut up well actually that's not true <laughs> sometimes you do need to shut up and do it yeah there is cases for this so as an athlete sometimes you don't need to know why you're doing everything i think sometimes you just need to trust that your coach because some like it's important for you to understand what's going on and like dara saying have a growth mindset and see the larger goals and sometimes it's important for you just to be the lifter and yeah. you for just to do what you're told to do and your coach might know that you were maybe hyper neurotic and you might be like, why am I doing these back squats? And you might be like, or why am I not doing back squats today? Yeah. Even though I like doing them. And he might explain to you seven or eight times why you're not doing these back squats. Yeah. And sometimes you should just take him at his word and get on with your job. And then maybe after the session, you can talk to him and say, oh, just tell me one more time what I'm doing that, you know. Yeah. You'd want to, obviously, of course, you want to have immense patience as a coach, you know. Yeah. So like that's, if we took the first thing of being like, you have to have some understanding of the person. Yeah. And then the second thing is that there's very definite guidelines around, uh, look, I'm going to ask one or two questions about this, mm-hmm. but I don't need to ask all the questions all the time. No. Uh, then like the level of coaching you're receiving obviously dictates a huge amount. So if it's something where you send them videos every day after training, that's perfectly fine, but it can't go from being, uh, oh, I kind of, I uh, I send one video there for the last two months and I don't really look for feedback to then suddenly being, 
I send five videos a day and I need feedback right now. Mm-hmm. Joe, like there there has to be some sort of a, like agreement there that this is the right amount of, of feedback to be looking for. Uh, and then you have to keep up your end of the bargain, if you get what I mean. Like if you if you ask for feedback, you have to give the videos or you have to be at training, you know. And I think a lot of the time people think it's just kind of a, a buy-in, buy-out system if you're getting one-on-one coaching. Like, there's a big investment on both halves of that line. Sometimes, too, when a coach won't give you an answer for why you're doing something, it may often be that they don't have a good reason for why you're doing it. So there's a little asterisk there. Sometimes, <laughs> if your coach is always saying to you, because I said so, then there is a chance, and I'm not, I'm literally not, I'm genuinely not thinking of anyone in particular. I'm really not. <laughs> oh, this. Yeah. Are you? Okay. It may be that your coach doesn't have a very good reason. And yeah. there should always be a good reason why you're doing things in training. And look, you're like, as the athlete, you're you're definitely very, very entitled to ask, you know. 100%. Uh, and if it's something that, but like, look, there's sometimes coaches do things that they're just trying out. Mm-hmm. So it might be that fucking someone gets a mad harebrained notion to, uh, to do jerk dips with a med ball and some retarded thing like that mm-hmm. uh, and like if you ask your coach like why am I doing these and they're open and honest and say look we're trying it Yeah, you can't be mad at that you know absolutely not uh, you will never ever 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 see any of our programs that have jerk dip med ball throws in them have you seen some do that yeah oh dear I'll ask you after yeah so if we kind of extrapolate that to outside of weightlifting it's more of a... Um, a team environment. Like a team environment. It's... A, it's You kind of... I think you need a little bit more of a totalitarian dynamic. Yeah. In... You do. and yeah, the, like, A positive... A benevolent ruler is probably what it's, is, <laughs> is better than a tyrant. Yeah, you can't like... It's just you can't have young, highly talented, highly confident, high testosterone males and you can't mollycoddle them. Or females. Like Joe, Absolutely. it's like you can't... Uh, the challenge with the team is right so if we're working one-on-one with an athlete we have a very good understanding of everything they're doing we have a, a, a communication stream that we're that's ingrained and entrenched we're very very used to interacting with each other uh if i say something i know how it will be taken if the athlete says something to me i know what they're trying to say yep. the problem on the team is that we have 20 or 25 athletes trying to do that uh, you won't have the same level of interaction with them because there's there's so many of them. Uh, and a lot of the time what you're relying on is kind of leaders within that team. So we might have captains, vice captains, pack leaders, whatever it is, uh, leaders within that team that we have very, very good relationships with. They then uh, disperse or whatever, like they have very good relationships with other people on the team. And the kind of the feedback ebbs and flows over and back through that most of the time if if it's a like a node yeah is that the word you're thinking of that's exactly what i was thinking of but most of the time if there's uh feedback be it negative or be it positive from a member of the squad most of the time that wouldn't be directed to coach uh most of the time that would be here so say it takes for the example of uh look i think we're overtraining uh i think we did too much insert x here joe i think i think doing 20 sets of sprints is is too much whatever that is that would almost never be said to the coach directly in the first place that would nearly always be uh who's above me on the team so 
if I'm a junior player, I'd be going to a senior player on the squad. I'd be going to my captain. I mightn't even go to the captain. I might be going to my pack leader or whoever it is and be like, look, I think this is a bit excessive. And then it can be something that's that's taken to a coach, you know. Yeah. Or even the negative kind of bollocking in quotes will be sometimes the coach will give it. And yeah. then he knows full well that when he leaves a room that the captain is going to give it four times worse, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a great coach will know that, that he'll disseminate, what he'll convey his message as, as much as he, he needs to, knowing, 100%, yeah. knowing full well that the lads will just be as hard as themselves and the captain will be four times as hard as anyone else, yeah. you know, when he leaves the dressing room. So, like, there's advantages to the totalitarian dictator, right? Because... It's benevolent ruler is probably a better totalitarian. <laughs> Whatever it is, like message. you know that you know, like yeah, big dick McBig dick who likes to shout and likes to and only listens to himself. Uh, well, that would be the the totalitarian. The totalitarian yeah. Then. So there's an advantage to that in one stream because you have yeah, uh, you have you're going in one direction. Mm-hmm. You, the person who makes the plans is implementing the plans, and the plans are always implemented, right? So you have something like they only going in one direction. This is the game plan. This is what we're going to do. Uh, and it, it happens with one-on-one athletes as well. That's the advantage to it, but that's pretty much where the advantage is stop. Yeah. So you have, you know for a fact you're going to have direction. Uh, the disadvantage to that is you don't really, like athletes are, are training a lot. They understand themselves very well. So you don't get that, the feedback from an athlete of being like oh remember when we did this this and it seemed to work quite well yeah so you miss out on that you also miss out on all the really really important uh auto regulatory things that just kind of happen when you have an over and back with an athlete like if you know uh the athletes start to slow down at the sixth or eighth set uh and you start seeing that and there's feedback and you're like how did it feel and go oh i'm really tired okay oh that's perfect i get that feedback rather than just being like go faster go faster go faster you know so you miss out on that you also miss out on probably some very very good performance uh or possible increases in performance in the way of uh the ideas that an athlete might have yeah you know like often the captain is a captain for a reason yeah, yeah, yeah. And he may have some phenomenal feedback. With the El lads. Capitano. El Capitano. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, like very much our approach is to have uh, like with the one-on-one guys we have is we have a good idea of what's going on behind the scenes mm. because we chat to them and be like, oh, what any crack? What's the story? We're probably not best buds with them mm-hmm. uh, well i think it's you, you just can't be unfortunately no no yeah and like going like going drinking once or twice a year with them is perfect but i don't think you can be you can certainly be friends with some 100 percent. and yeah. like we have really good friends who we coach mm-hmm. uh but there has to be a level of distance there for the for some of the kind of feedback you need to give you know some people so if, if we're yeah. like if we're designing timmy and timmy is a weightlifter yeah uh like you'd sit down and chat with them and be like be there be a friend uh so they can talk to you enough but then it can't be like joe you can't be going to the cinema with timmy there twice a week some people are are good at you know realizing that you can be their friend outside of coaching them but when you're in the gym then the environment is 100 yeah like the reframing is different and it's not a friendship anymore it's a coach athlete relationship yeah I think something one of the 
who said it? I think it was um, Sexton said Joe Smith. So he was the former head coach of the Irish rugby team for anyone who doesn't know and he finished with the World Cup with Ireland there recently. And I think it was Sexton and someone else saying that basically Joe was not, he was one of the, probably one of the greatest coaches for rugby alive, I think it would be fair to say. Yeah, he's definitely in top five. They said he was as much as he much influence on their lives and their approach yeah. to being people as it did on being an athlete, and that's an, an incredible compliment that didn't come from a coach. I think something you see a lot of the time with great coaches, and you see it with Jim Gavin, who just re- uh, retired from the Dublin football job, is they're more so they obviously care hugely about the sport, but they're worried about developing the human being rather than developing the results. Yeah. Like that's you've heard that time and time again about him. We've heard it about Schmidt. We've heard it about plenty really, really good coaches that they're they're developing an athlete in every sense of the word. Yeah. You know? An internally motivated athlete will be such a more powerful force than Yeah, yeah. Than the tyrant can motivate or through fear. Not it is a type of fear, I suppose, rather than um a type of discipline. It's Definitely, more of a yeah. I'll, I'll lose my job if I don't do what Joe says or whatever yeah. rather than I want to do this for Joe and the team and myself you know yeah so I think we we kind of touched on it earlier that the difference between youths and adults it, like there's a a big difference in how that kind of athlete relationship uh, is formed so I think you see a lot of the time with coaches that they're very very good youth coaches but then can't coach adults it's just, yeah like and that may sound negative but it's just a different skill set it's definitely a different skill set it's like a different job almost yeah and like if you talk to any teacher like children are barely humans <laughs> so like it's so different from dealing with adults so a lot of the time you will see uh, a coach in, in almost a teaching role there you know? so there's and there's sometimes adults who are barely humans as well yeah but like so you have a, a coach that that probably isn't best friends with the lads or best friends with the girl on the team the mm. girls on the team uh they're probably not going to be uh asking about what they're doing too much you know because they have uh like there's definitely going to be a lot more distance there with a youth coach uh and i think then that's they texting the young ones what's that texting the young ones but like joe like because they're able to then yeah. treat youths like they're youths uh, that's where the, the difficulty comes with when they go into coaching adults because they just expect to be able to go into a dressing room and fucking roar for five minutes yeah, and it ought to be grand or you can lecture them about their commitment to the sport or commitment to training uh, and it's all grand whereas if you go into an, ad, an adult change room and you start giving a fellow bollocking because he's after missing two training sessions in the last month mm-hmm. yet he's working shift yeah. Uh, and he has five kids at home like it's it's very very different how you can give that feedback you, you do kind of see that younger our coaches for youth athletes in across a lot of sports are in some ways a bit are kind of charismatic yeah they do inspire the younger people to a lot of times they'll want to do this for them as much as possible yeah now that's not saying people who coach adults and professional athletes are not charismatic of course they are we are like like there's so much anecdotal evidence of yeah of, of athletes being but it's a different kind of of coaches being a different kind of um, they do seem to capture the youth a truly good youth coach or adolescent coach will really capture the attention of the the young people because nobody in a mob mentality is worse than young men uh, <laughs> and pe- like just in all fairness 
young women are just not as like shitheads as young men are you know yeah, and yeah. that's the only way to phrase it really like a young team there of rugby players you need to have a really like fucking Liam Neeson's from taking you, you need, need a special skill set like you need yeah. to know like the understanding <laughs> of giving someone a ball looking is just not enough for that you know there's yeah there's ways and means of of controlling the team without ever having to raise your voice you know yeah uh I had a point to make there and I'm after forgetting it I'm sure you did there <laughs> Uh, so then, I think there's it's a it, the skill sets between coaching individuals and coaching a team is just it's just massive. The the difference is is really it's like the relationship you have. Let's say like for example, we've with Miso and his father is a weightlifter. He's um, potential Olympic medalist this year, at Tokyo. And if he keeps going the way he is, he'll um, he's going to be a medalist. And the relationship they have is one of while they are father and son when they're in the gym it's it's a it's um it's one of my favorite coaching relationships yeah. i've seen it's incredibly productive it's incredibly positive oh just i was just going to say overall it's yeah the positivity is is it's one of the best i've ever seen for example when we so this when we first met them in uzbekistan in 2018 we were in the uzbekistani national training center and there was a lifter and I can't think of his name now but it doesn't matter he was very good 94 he snatched like 180 as a junior like 212 kind of clean jerk he's um, a very talented lifter and long story short you could see that the this young lifter was absolutely fucked his elbow yeah. was clearly just just an excruciating pain and now if you see a young lifter of that talent who can clearly put the grit in to snatch 180 mental mental grit or toughness is not an issue with him and now you could see that his elbow was just it must have been in crazy pain to say he was showing it so much yeah so originally it started snatching and he just wasn't able to snatch more than the bar so that'll tell you a lot so then he moved to front squats and it was clearly like front squats the amount of pressure in your elbow and hit like 215 front squats was just high and his coach um unfortunately it's a the classic ex-soviet coach basically was just absolutely disgusted the athletes um most likely fake it in his view it's not that bad get on with it you have a job to do you're a professional at least you're representing Uzbekistan the country you need to fucking sort this buck out up. yeah you need to yeah. buck up basically long story short in Russian whatever that is yeah and then when you look at but it, but essentially what happened that accumulated in was the coach just left he finished he left training he, walked out. he was just disgusted by the athlete and then Miso's coaches were just so nice to me so yeah. they came over and it was like um, it's like a stallion that had been Roiled up, they were, came over and tried to, They were kind of talking to the athlete, yeah, trying to help yeah, him with yeah. his elbow. And Miso's physio was there, and they were trying to show him some exercises to do for his yeah. elbow, you know. And like, even well, Miso's father is um, severe is not the wrong word, it's not the right word for him. He is um, he what, what, how would you just kind of describe it? It's more so, it's never, it's not a negative someone like that who's been in the sport for so long, yeah. So he has like, no bullshit, is the best way. yeah, no bullshit, yeah. It's he's forgotten more about weightlifting than probably anybody in this country knows uh, many countries I'd yeah say. put together you know so like uh it's yeah no bullshit's a very good way to go about it you know because he's if not something an is, yeah but he's it, an absolute if it, gentleman yeah and if a lift is shit most of the time he doesn't even say it because he knows that you know it was yeah, shit exactly so like yeah. he's very selective with the feedback he gives uh the plan is put in place but if it needs to change he has no bother changing it yeah he listens to feedback from hussein he listens to feedback from miso like the physio they have yeah uh they're like 
it's an incredible like you, I just can't emphasize how positive that relationship is like and it's I don't think it's just because he is Miso's father I, I, oftentimes that actually would work in the total opposite direction it would be more but negative I, I'm gonna say nearly every time I've seen it yeah almost every time I've seen it it's worked in the opposite direction you know Bodhi Santavi is a 94 kilo his father coaches him as well yeah and clearly Bodhi does very well you know Jeez, he's doing very well 118 snatched there recently yeah Um. so there are two cases but more often than not, it's just, it's very rare. It's going to work out. You need, the level of maturity you need from from both, both parties. parties is so yeah. high. You need a, a parent who can remove themselves from being your parent for a time being while you're in the gym and keep it as an athlete child relationship or an athlete, or sorry, an athlete coach relationship. You know, you, you're not, these the person that your child, you're not kind of projecting your desires on them. You know, you're, you're, yeah. Your failed athletic career yourself on these person, you know, which it can happen, you know. Oh, it happens a lot. Where, because they, you know, when you go into the gym, you're doing your job and you trust that your athlete, who's not your kid anymore for this two hours yeah. or whatever, he's going to do his job to his best of ability. And if he's sore, then he is sore. Or if he's not, if he's not making, the, if he's not making the efforts. And I think not bringing issues like from outside of the gym into yeah. the gym, Joe, you got shit test results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do your fucking squats. It's, Joe, like just having that level of separation there is very very important and then of course from the athletes to have the level of maturity to obviously familiarity breeds contempt so yeah having your father tell you what to do all the time <laughs> if you're an adolescent and then telling you what to do in the gym and your favorite sports the level of maturity you need as a young athlete to generate respect for your father or your coach and to take it as a separate entity is, is so high you know it's very impressive to see the two of them that's kind of thing that's very hard to like objectively kind of present Measure. to present to someone in a yeah, book you know yeah. or, or, or a study and it's um it's one of those things you know this is a total tangent now but you know when ai ai kind of coaching or programming will come yeah for one-to-one athletes it's just not something i, I can't imagine how it'll be replicated yeah but we'll all be dead by the end anyway if ai is there so Dave, isn't there a fucking do juggernaut have an AI? I'm, I haven't looked into it, but I've heard a lot about I've it. I've heard yeah. of it, yeah. I don't know how they. What's the? I assume it's just all working off RV. Yeah. Joe, like it's probably not an AI. It's probably just some sort of machine learning tool where. Yeah. You put in like, oh, I did this this week, uh, and it was this hard. Yeah. Uh, but RV isn't the real thing, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll talk about that next week. So. If you are an athlete, the key the key things you need to have really is trust. But the problem with that as well is you need to pick who you're trusting to, you know? Yeah. So you may begin a sport totally fresh and assume that your coach knows everything, only to learn after a while that he may not know everything. Yeah, we like we see some great athletes with shit coaches. And a lot of the time... We, you I'm, know, actually, I, something... Go on. I think a lot of the time... I remember this point <laughs> a lot of time we see uh people thinking coaches are great because they have a, one or two good athletes mm-hmm. like you know there's obviously like obviously coaching influenced athletes a lot but like you could have had some 